session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, No studio call-ins today because I'm also on Instagram live for the show, but you can call in on Wednesday's show if you have any questions. Let's get to the books of the week. This week's book of the week is The Life You Can Save by Peter Singer. The Life You Can Save how to do your part to end world poverty. And uh, I actually came across this book and this author, Peter Singer, as I was looking up some books related to animal cruelty and the morality related to uh, eating animals or not eating animals, as I've been going through my own process of figuring out what I'd like to do after watching a documentary last week called Earthlings. And as of yesterday, I decided to be vegan and I'm still trying to educate myself more about that and what that's going to entail. But nonetheless, I'll talk more about that maybe on Wednesday's show. But I came across this author, Peter Singer, uh, and this book, The Life You Can Save, How to Do Your Part to End World Poverty. thought it was a quite interesting title. As I always say, I do partially judge the books by the titles. So uh, that's kind of what happened here. Looking forward to reading that and sharing it with you next week. The book of the week from this past week that I'll talk about tonight is Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel S.F. Heller. Attached, the new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love. And this was a book I had heard a lot about or seen many people post in regards to relationships. And as a book that would be good to read, I had it for a few months. And I'm very happy I did read it this past week and can share it with you. And before I get into it, highly recommend the book to really anyone because we all have an attachment system where we all experience attachments. And if we're looking for love or you're already in a relationship, this book can really help you both understand yourself. And then if you're in a relationship, understand your partner and some of the dynamics of your relationship. Or if you're looking for a partner, help you understand what to look for and also what to be mindful of, what to avoid. So attachment theory is essentially this idea that as mammals and as humans, we are predisposed to get attached in an emotional and even physical sense to certain individuals. And so we can understand this, that it would benefit us to want to get attached to a few people who would then we would be dependent on to survive. So a baby is attached to the the mother, make sure they're vigilant, aware of where they are, wants to stay connected to them because literally they are reliant on them and dependent on their mother and also their father to survive, to be alive. So it makes sense to have this type of system in place emotionally and even it connects to our physiology to want to connect with someone in, in that way, to be connected close to a loved one. And this attachment style, it stays with us, or this attachment, I should say, system stays with us for our whole lives. We always, as human beings, want to be connected with a select few or even a select person 
to feel that connection. And in a way, it makes us feel alive because without it, we can feel like we can die just like the baby dies without that attachment figure. And so just in sharing some of those uh, basic understandings of it, it gives us a sense of why it's so strong, those feelings we can have in our romantic relationships, why you can feel like you're almost dying. We say words like heartache or heartbreak, and it hurts when we go through breakups or when we lose that attachment figure. We can understand that there's something in us that almost makes it feel like life or death if we um, don't have that person to attach to. So we're talking about something very significant and something that all of us have. All human beings have this attachment system and we have different attachment styles. There's a few main ones and I'll talk about those, but it makes sense that we all have this. And so I like that they talked about in this book that dependency, even there's a chapter called dependency is not a bad word, which actually I really liked because when we hear that word dependent, we think of something negative. We think that you're weak, that you can't stand on your own. But really, essentially, what we want to recognize is that all human beings are dependent on other human beings. That's part of being human is that we are connected in this way. And so sometimes we think that the strongest person is someone who doesn't get attached to anyone or who doesn't feel much for people. And they talk about that in the book where we think of movies or figures, either in history or in um, fiction or whatever it might be. And we always admire the person who seems to not need anyone or care about almost anyone and what happens. They're in a relationship, the relationship ends, they can do without it. They don't really care if they lose that relationship. And we think that is strong. But really, this desire and almost need to connect is something very natural and human. And we want to recognize that it's not a weakness to get attached to someone emotionally. You inevitably are going to be attached to your loved ones. And if you enter into a romantic relationship, you are dependent on that person. By dependent, it means that they can have and will have a huge impact on how you feel and how you experience life. If something happens to them, you're going to feel sad. You're going to feel hurt. If they leave you or they die or something happens to them, you're going to be hurt. It will feel almost like death to you when they go, when something happens to them. And so we can understand that this is a natural and normal human need. And so we shouldn't feel weak that we feel so connected to our loved ones or especially to your partner. It is essentially something healthy to feel that connection. And when we look at this thing about getting hurt by someone, I always think it's important to look at the flip of it because if you want to feel good about something or if you want to feel good from your relationship with someone, you have to be open to feeling hurt by it as well. Essentially, as good as you can feel is equal to how hurt you can be by that person. So if you want to feel very good and connected and all the beautiful things you can experience in a loving relationship, that means that you're opening yourself up to get hurt as well. That's the only way it works. Sometimes we wish we can only feel the good but not feel hurt, but it doesn't work that way. It's just like when people say, well, if someone says something mean to you, don't feel anything. And I think it is very important to be mindful of who's telling us something, how much we let it affect us, and all those types of things. So I'm not saying you should get upset or hurt by someone if they say something. But if you're saying when someone tells you something, it makes you feel good, then it means that if they say something you don't like, you can understand it'll make you feel bad too. So if your partner 
gives you a compliment, hopefully that makes you feel good. But similarly, if your partner insults you or says something mean, it makes sense that that's going to make you feel bad too. We open ourselves up to these things. So when we enter a romantic relationship, we essentially are accepting a certain level of risk. That's really what we're doing when we enter that relationship that I want to have something with this person. I want to create this relationship because I think it's worth it, but I understand that I can get hurt as well. I think I was reading someone post something recently about having a child. When you have a child, in some ways you're opening yourself up to the biggest risk or biggest pain you can experience as a human being. Losing a child, something can happen to your child, but you feel that it's worth taking that risk. Thankfully, in today's day and age, it's less likely something happens to your child, but of course it still is possible. But by having a child, you're opening yourself up to that risk, knowing that you feel that it's worth it, that you want to take that on because having that child is worth it. Similarly, when we create a romantic relationship, we have to be willing to take that risk as well. We can get hurt in the process. And so, you know, bringing up this childlike part of things is interesting too, because as I mentioned, this attachment system that we take into our adult relationships, it starts in uh, being a baby, essentially being an infant. And we carry that with us with our romantic partners. And this can even help us make sense of some things like calling each other baby or having baby talk with your significant other, which we tend to see in romantic relationships. We can see that it taps into some of these baby-like, childlike parts of us when we enter this type of a bond, which is part of why we're using that same system, or we can understand it because we are using that same system that is making us feel that way. So you'll call each other baby, have names that are in that way childlike. You will even have childlike voices when you do baby talk to each other, something that a couple might enjoy. Sometimes someone listening might think it's a little bit annoying or hard to connect to, but it makes sense because those two people are sharing that moment or that experience of being, you know, baby, baby to each other. But to someone looking at it, it can feel very strange or not something they can connect to. But so we can see how this is something very natural, normal. We as human beings are essentially dependent on other human beings. I know it doesn't sound great, and there's a big uh, range of what being dependent can mean, but we have to understand that it's something that we're going to experience if we want to truly connect with one another. So I thought the book did a good job of, of expressing that very clearly, that we shouldn't feel bad about this, that you are going to feel this dependency, and we shouldn't think that not wanting to be close to people is somehow a sign of health, which is something I'll get into. So there is a few main attachment styles. So the one that sounds obviously the best, even by the name of it, is secure. And the secure attachment style tends to uh, include about 50% of people. So about half of people fall into the secure style. And I'll describe the, a little bit more about each uh, attachment style. But then there's the anxious style, which captures about 20% of people usually. And then the avoidant style is about 25%. And then a few percent fall into the anxious avoidant. It's a much more rare combination. And again, the book I'm talking about is Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Uh, so let me give you a few questions, and uh, there's a questionnaire in the book that you can take that can help you figure out your attachment style. I actually think for most people, if you read about the attachment styles, you'll probably get be able to, not guess, but uh, assess your own attachment style. So for example, um, I often worry that my partner will stop loving me. This is 
part of the anxious attachment self? You answer yes to that. Um, I sometimes feel angry or annoyed with my partner without knowing why. This is more common for the avoidant style. I am generally satisfied with my romantic relationships. That is evidence of a, a secure style. Uh, my independence is more important to me than my relationships. Maybe you can guess it. That's part of the avoidance style. I am very sensitive to my partner's moods. This is more common in the anxious attachment style. So those gives you a little bit of a, a glimpse of some things. And if you take this uh, test they have, or kind of like a checklist, it'll give you an idea of where you fall on this. And so we can also look at different attachment styles looking at two dimensions. One is your anxiety about the relationship. And the other one is either you can call it your comfort with intimacy or your avoidance of intimacy. And so people who are low on the anxiety, but also enjoy being close to others, that's the secure. And that's what we'd all like to have. And about half of you that are listening probably have that type of attachment style. But let me describe to you how they explain a little bit about these different styles. Maybe it'll give you a, a little bit of an understanding. So in the anxious attachment style, they say you love to be very close to your romantic partners and have the capacity for great intimacy. You often fear, however, that your partner does not wish to be as close as you would like to be to him or her. And then they go on to explain that a little bit more. The avoidant is described like this. It is very important for you to maintain your independence and self-sufficiency, and you often prefer autonomy to intimate relationships. Sounds like avoidant if you hear some of those things. You prefer being alone than with others. Secure, on the other hand, is described like this. Being warm and loving in a relationship comes naturally to you. You enjoy being intimate without becoming overly worried about your relationships. You take things in stride when it comes to romance and don't get easily upset over relationship matters. So that would be a description of the secure style. So based on those very brief descriptions, you might already get a sense of where you fall on those three main ones. You can be anxious avoiding, which is much more rare, but most people will fall under one of those three categories. So something to understand about yourself. Who am I? And something that I always try to encourage on this show is for people to try to understand themselves better. And even when you go to therapy, one of the main goals to me is always self-awareness and self-understanding. Even before you talk about fixing problems or fixing issues, it's about understanding yourself and who you are, your preferences, why you might be entering the kind of relationships you enter, why you might be creating the type of relationships you've been creating in your life. And this is actually one very important aspect of that, understanding your attachment style. It might open your eyes to some things that you thought were kind of mysterious or you couldn't understand about yourself and your relationships. And that's why I think if people read this book or at least understand attachment theory a little bit better, it'll give them some insights into themselves, their relationships, your partner, and what might be happening. So what I'll do is we're about to go to commercial break, but this book really is um, very important in the sense that there's a lot of information I think people can benefit from. So I wanted to talk a bit more about it. So after the break, I'll continue talking about the book Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jalakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So in the first segment was talking about the book Attached by Amir Levine, Rachel 
Keller. Really wonderful book. Highly recommend it. I think you will definitely get something out of reading the book as far as understanding yourself better uh, and understanding how you are in relationships. And if you are in one, it might give you some interesting insight into what might be going on. So you want to understand who you are. What kind of attachment style do I have? And generally, there is a combination of things. You know, someone asked during the commercial break on Instagram Live, is it scientifically proven? And obviously, we can look at that in many different ways. Um, it's not so black and white, of course, to say that if someone has a secure style, they are 100% that way, and someone is anxious, they are only that way. So these labels, of course, might not fit you perfectly and probably don't fit anyone perfectly, but you might notice you have more of a style that aligns with one of these or more of your behaviors or the way you act in relationships might seem similar to one style, either the anxious, the secure, or the avoidant. And so understanding that can help you understand yourself better. Uh, and there's been a lot of research on attachment style showing that it is a pretty significant aspect of our lives. Uh, one thing they mention in the book is that our attachment style is stable but plastic, meaning that it can change, but it does tend to stay the same throughout life, barring us trying to change it or entering certain relationships that might change it, which I, I'll likely touch on later. So it's a pretty stable thing, but it is also something that can change over time, definitely based on things like um, the romantic relationships you experience as you get older, and also things like going to therapy or working on yourself can adjust that, hopefully moving more towards the secure style, of course. And also uh, genetics play a part, so it's not just about what your parents did, but of course your upbringing will have a significant impact. If your parents responded in a consistent manner and met your needs as a baby and young child, you will likely develop or more likely to develop a secure style. If they were inconsistent based on how they responded inconsistently, it could lead to you having an anxious or an avoidant style. And we can understand that if you are a baby, a young child, and you consistently get responded to in a way that is meeting your needs, it gives you the sense that I can rely on people. People are there. The people that love me will take care of me. I can trust them. And what's actually fascinating, they talk about this dependency paradox, is that once you have that secure base, once someone shows you, and as a parent you show your young child that you are there, it actually then gives them the space and the comfort to go explore. And you might see this sometimes with a young child where they will be with their, let's say, mom or dad or whoever it is, and get comfortable, then they'll go explore, and they might come back and check to make sure mommy or daddy is still there and things are okay, and then they'll go explore some more and they'll keep coming back. And so as a parent, sometimes we think, well, I got to just um, pushing people out into, you know, meeting uh, or doing things or being out there. But really what we recognize is we have to make them feel comfortable first, make them feel safe. And the same thing happens in romantic relationships. If your partner makes you feel comfortable, if your partner makes you feel like you can rely on them, it makes you feel more safe in that relationship. So if the parents respond to the young child in ways that are consistent, makes them feel like they can rely on them, it's more likely to make them have a secure attachment style. But if they're not consistent, then the child doesn't feel that same thing. So for example, if you are sometimes too involved and sometimes not involved at all, the child might be likely to develop an anxious attachment style. It's a little more complicated than that, but just giving you an example of that. You might feel like, well, where 
Uh, how can I expect that they're going to be there? Sometimes they're there, sometimes they're not. Or maybe if you're not there at all, it could also lead to that or an avoidance style. So in the avoidance style, the child kind of feels like maybe it's safe not to connect to anyone because I can't rely on any one person, or maybe I shouldn't put all my eggs in one basket, so to speak, and be comfortable with lots of different people. So when you see a baby with a um, avoidant attachment style, when the mom leaves the room, so they do this, this uh, experiment called the strange situation where the mom enters the room with the baby, I think usually... Uh, you know, nine to 18 months or so, or maybe 12 to 18 months, and there's another person in the room, the child gets comfortable and then the mom leaves the room. Now with an avoidant child, the baby doesn't protest that much. They almost, it seems like they don't care. But interestingly, when we look at their physiology, we see that they actually care a lot. Their heart rate goes up, they release more cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And so that's telling us that actually they don't feel very good. They don't like it but they've learned to try to suppress that feeling. And that's something that we see with people who are adults also who have this avoidant attachment style. It's not like that they don't care or they don't feel anything, but in some ways they're suppressing that um, need or feeling to want to be close to someone, and that's what they experience. So even if you have a secure attachment style, you can learn a lot from this book, both about yourself, but also about people that you will interact with and relationships that you might have or enter. Um, so th they want you to first know yourself. There's also a checklist where you can try to understand your partner. And as I said, that can be very helpful to understand. Is my partner anxious? Is my partner avoidant? Is my partner secure? That can also give you some insight into who they are and how they might be acting or why they might be acting the ways that they do. That can be very puzzling. And so I think what you'll experience if you read a book like this you know, no one theory explains everything, even about one topic or one aspect of life. But I think that it will give you some insights into your own experience in relationships where you'll have a lot of aha moments of, oh, that might explain why I do this, or that might explain why my husband or wife does this, or partners I've dated do certain things. And that can be really helpful in helping you understand yourself and what's going on in relationships. Now, some people have asked even in the commercial break about changing or if your partner can change your, your attachment style. What seems to be interesting is, uh, and let me make this comment first before I get into that actually. You know, in general, as I mentioned, people tend to really praise being independent in our culture, especially like in American culture. Many cultures have that feeling of uh, it's better to be okay alone than to need people. But as I said in the book, really as human beings, we need to, to feel that we're connected uh, to others. And we need that attachment and that connection. Uh, but really, we don't want to praise someone who's avoiding relationships because we need to be connected to other people. And so um, the book does give you the sense that they almost are not disliking, but avoidance kind of get the worst, I think, uh, reputation based on this book. And maybe that's to counteract what's in the culture where people who are so independent and don't want to get close to people get praised maybe they wanted to make it seem the other way because anxious people they do say of course anxious sounds not good but they say if you give an anxious person a very secure base and connect with them then they tend to uh, respond a lot better and could be a very good partner who's very loving and sensitive to you but i felt like avoidance almost looked like the bad guy or bad girls in this uh, book and how it's explained. And maybe it's because they're the ones that are avoiding getting 
attached or connected the most. And so it can seem that way. But that was something I experienced in the book. But anyway, going back to that idea of who you date and how it affects you, it seems like when people that are secure are in a relationship with someone who is, let's say, anxious, because they respond in ways that are calm and loving in general and can give that secure base and secure feeling, it actually can make someone anxious become a little less anxious and become more secure. So there almost seems to be this contagious effect that someone secure can have on the relationship. Of course, it's not going to be total, but it can have that effect, thankfully. So it, it really what we're looking for in a partner should be someone who has that secure, but doesn't mean that if they're not secure, they can't be a good partner, but it can have that positive effect on us to be with someone who's secure. And I should also make it very clear when we say secure attachment style, where it says 50% of people, it doesn't mean that these people never have issues in their relationships, never get angry, never act out, always act in this secure way. It's not some label that means that they're perfect and nothing they do is going to be wrong, but that they tend to act in ways that are more secure in their responses. Being open, being clear, being comfortable, talking about things, taking your needs and emotions into account. And as they say in the book, it's almost natural to them. So they don't feel like they're doing something extraordinary, but because they have this feeling that you are good and I'm good and they can feel that comfort and they expect good things from talking about issues and don't get overwhelmed as easily, they can handle those types of aspects of the relationship. Now, one of the more common patterns we see and one of the ones that can be a trap is the anxious avoidance trap. So people who are anxious and people who are avoidant can actually end up together very frequently. You've probably been in it yourself if you're either one of those. And it might seem a little bit puzzling because you would think they wouldn't like that uh, attraction or they wouldn't like that relationship. And they don't really like it as far as what they experience, but it can be something that draws them together. So we have someone who's anxious, who's wanting to be close, questioning often if the other person likes them, loves them, wants to be with them, very sensitive to what the person is expressing. And you have someone who's avoidant who actually doesn't like getting very close. So you can already see that in some ways this could be a recipe for disaster. Now, it doesn't mean it has to be a disaster and that the relationship can't work, but we can see how this can be a very maladaptive pattern. And some of the patterns we see in relationships can be explained in this way. So if you have someone who's anxious and they're with someone who's avoidant, what they tend to feel as the anxious person is this avoidant person will give them mixed messages. Maybe at the beginning we'll act very interested, but then they'll pull back. And those mixed messages will start to make the person who's anxious actually feel uh, very excited. Or actually excited is probably the wrong word. Anxious, but they might think it feels uh, exciting. And this is where we have to be very careful not to con uh, mistake our anxious feelings, the instability the person is giving us, with butterflies or that excited feeling that we have when we start a relationship with someone that we really like. And people can misread these signals within themselves because they're constantly on edge. Is the person going to call me or not? Sometimes they cancel our plans last minute, but are they going to do it this time? They don't give me a lot of compliments, but maybe they're going to give me a compliment. Let me see what I can do to get that compliment from them. 
And unfortunately, of course, the person keeps responding in these inconsistent ways, maybe taking two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back. And it leaves the anxious person feeling this unstable feeling, which they mistake for excitement because the relationship is so good. So we really have to take a look at what is making us attracted to the person that we are starting to date. Is it something healthy or is it actually something very maladaptive? Is what we're feeling genuine excitement because of a strong, healthy attachment and attraction? Or is it actually they're triggering these feelings in us that make us feel so much, but it's actually not a very um, comforting feeling, a stability feeling that we should have. And as they put it, sometimes people who are anxious, when they meet someone who is secure, they think they're bored. They think something is missing because the person is responding very consistently, expressing their feelings, expressing they're interested in the person. And it's very complicated for them to understand what's going on. They think this person is boring. There's nothing going on here. But they don't realize that what they're mistaking for boredom is actually the stability of being someone who is actually consistent with them, which is quite uh, interesting to note. And so sometimes we'll even advise people, don't go for the person that makes you feel head over heels from the first day, which is what we usually think we're looking for. Because oftentimes what we're feeling is not genuine attraction or some loving feeling. It's actually a feeling of uh, anxiety that the person is bringing up for us, which is quite interesting. So unfortunately, we do often see this anxious avoidant pairing. And it it just seems like a very sad thing for both people. Because imagine when you're anxious, you're trying to get more out of the person. When you're avoidant, when the person wants more from you, it makes you pull back even more. And this is the dynamic that we see. And in emotionally focused therapy, this is sometimes called the pursue withdrawal type of a pattern. One person is pursuing, the other one withdraws. Because you can understand from the avoidant person's point of view, when someone wants more from you, you feel like you're losing your space, you feel like they're suffocating you, so you're going to pull back even more. And so what is the anxious person going to do when their partner pulls back? Well, they're going to try even harder. They might call a hundred times, they might, um, you know, Uh, try to surprise them in some way that doesn't make the other person feel good. They might act out in some way, all because they're trying to get some response out of them. They want to get them uh, to respond to them, to give them something. And even more, it makes that avoidant partner pull back. So we see these relationships where this pattern happens. I'm sure some of you listening can relate to that experience of being with someone that either you can be on either side of this, of course, who is either you're the one that feels suffocated and are pulling back, or you're the one that's constantly seeking to get more from them, to see what can you do to make them love you, to make you like you. Because someone who has an anxious uh, attachment style tends to have these insecurities about themselves, that maybe I'm not good enough, maybe the person doesn't love me, people don't like me, people are not reliable. And then so unfortunately, they end up being with someone when they find someone who's avoidant, who actually confirms all of those things. See, people can't be relied on. People um, will let you down. People will go away at the end. All those types of things, unfortunately, can get confirmed. So you want to ask yourself, if you're both members of this type of a party, do I want to be in this type of relationship? It's not about you being bad that this person is pulling away. It's about their attachment style. And that's why I was saying it can be so important for us to first understand ourselves, but then to recognize the qualities in the person we're dating or choose to date 
So if you're someone who tends to be very uh, anxious, you want to be aware of what's drawing me to this person. Because if they are avoidant, you're very likely to be let down with them or let down by them over time. And these relationships can go on for even years. People even get married with this type of a dynamic. But unfortunately, as you can imagine, it leads to this constant emotional roller coaster. Now we're going to our last commercial break. I'll probably continue about the book after the break. Um, this is, again, the book Attached by Amir Levine and Rachel Heller. Attached, the new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love. Let's go to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So I've been talking about the book Attached, the new science of adult attachment and how it can help you find and keep love. Really a, a fascinating book. I think you will, as I was talking to some of the um, listeners here on Instagram Live, I don't think anyone will, will read this book and not learn about themselves and learn about their partners if they are in a relationship. So we do want to try to avoid that uh, anxious avoidant trap. I laughed because it has a void in it. But it, it is something that can be hard to break. You might find yourself in that type of a relationship. And it's really tough. And we, we want to be mindful of looking at people's relationships and judging them. And reading this book was another example of that or illustrated that point again, because it could seem obvious sometimes. Well, if you're not happy in your relationship, then just leave. But if you're in a relationship where sometimes the person gives you what you want and sometimes they don't, or you feel like you're not getting what you want, but you think it might be your fault, maybe I'm to blame for not getting what I want, you might feel like, well, let me keep trying to get it from them. What if I do the right things? And this is when you want to look at, well, what am I getting from this and what can I do about it? And so in the book, they talked about often something that I really like and try to promote is the mindset of not playing games, to just clearly communicate what you want, what you need, what you're feeling. Don't try to play games to get what you want which is even interesting as I say that, to get what you want. Because what people tend to think they should want is just to get married or to find someone, to get them, even literally almost this feeling of trapping them. And then once you married them, now you're good, as if that's the only goal or really the, the solution to all of life's problems. But you don't want to just get someone or to get married. You want to be in a good relationship. If you're in a good relationship, it can make your life wonderful and add to your life. If you're in a bad relationship, it can make your life miserable and you'd be much better to not be with someone. So we shouldn't focus on trying to get them, trying to trick them, trying to see how we can make someone be with us. We should really be trying to find someone that matches well with us. And the best way to do that is to openly and very clearly express who we are, what we want, what we like and don't like, and seeing what the person says or how they respond. And I'm very much in favor of that mindset, that if you want to see if a person's a good partner for you, let them know who you are and what you want and see how they respond to that. And it's interesting because people who are anxious or who have an anxious attachment, they tend to get nervous about expressing what they want because there's this fear that it'll be too much for the other person. They won't want to give us what we want. And those anxieties can be understandable, but then we have to then ask ourselves, who do you want to be in a relationship with? Do you want to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't want to meet your needs, who doesn't care about your feelings? Or do you want to be with someone who will meet your needs, who will care about what you feel? And what that means is that when you express them to this person, 
you're giving them an opportunity to show you who they are. So if you express to someone you've been dating, this is how I feel, or this hurt my feelings, or I'm having this, and they respond by saying, you're too sensitive, or this is your fault, I'm not doing anything wrong, or I don't care, or whatever it is, they respond in some very negative way. They're showing you something about themselves. This is not a weakness in you. This is something about them. And especially not just about them as far as being weak or strong, but being a match for you. You want to be with someone that when you feel like something is important, first of all, they care about your feelings, but that they also believe and understand what you're saying makes sense and want to be there for you in that way. So they had a whole chapter and really a lot of the book was about effective communication, about how we want to make sure we express what we want clearly from the beginning. And this can actually help us avoid a lot of the issues down the line that might come up. So for example, many anxious people will not feel good about something their partner is doing, especially if they're avoidant, but they think, okay, let me just not say anything or let me test them in some way or play a game. So if they call me or if I call them and then they call back a day later, I have to at least wait more than one day to call them back. Or I'm going to be short when I talk to them to let them know I'm upset, something passive aggressive, rather than clearly expressing to them that I'm upset and I don't feel good about what they did or what they didn't do. And I thought that was really good, something I always try to promote to, to people. In general, dating people think of it that way. There's books for guys and girls that will talk about the game or playing a game and how you have to master the game. And I've always been very much against that, that playing a game shows that you're not really in the relationship the right way. You're looking at it as a game. How do I trick? How do I win? Winning in relationships is not you against someone. It's you with someone and you with the right someone, not just, okay, you like that person. How do you get them? And that's why I really um, get disappointed when I see books, articles, whatever it might be that promote things like how to make sure you get that person or, you know, 10 ways to make sure you get him back or you get her back. So many things about that bother me. One is, first of all, you can never guarantee to someone that if you do something or whatever you do, you can make someone else do something. We have a hard enough time doing something ourselves or helping ourselves do something we want to do, let alone can we try to control someone else that we can make them want to be with you. So that part, I think, uh, is ridiculous. And so if someone tells you they can guarantee you to make someone come back or guarantee you that you get this person or that person, to me, it's completely bogus and very irresponsible and unethical to, to say something like that. You're trying to sell something fake and something that isn't realistic because you know people will um, basically be fooled by that hope you're selling them. You're selling them false hope. Oh, I guarantee you, I can make you make that guy fall in love with you or make that girl fall in love with you. To me, it's really sad that this is something you see a lot, but it's people are going to try to find a way to get money and to get people's attention. And that's one of the ways they do it. So first, you can't predict that or say we're going to do something that makes someone do something else. But the other part that really bothers me about those types of things is how do we even know, and you as the person who's now selling this to someone or trying to, to help someone, so to speak, that that person is right for them. So if you told me, my girlfriend just broke up with me, my boyfriend just broke up to me, I need to get them back, I need to get them back. I can understand the feeling because as it talks about in this book and as we, I was talking about earlier, when we lose that attachment figure, it can feel like a death. 
and they actually talked about how physiologically it even, or in the brain, it can register the same as, let's say, breaking your leg. It physically hurts, and you've probably been there. It really physically hurts when you're going through that heartache and heartbreak. So we can understand wanting to get back with that person that we just broke up with. And sometimes I even use the analogy of a drug. When you are addicted to a drug, attached, hooked on a drug, and you lose it, of course you're going to go through withdrawals and a lot of pain. And what's the one thing that could quickly take away all those painful and uh, difficult withdrawal symptoms? Well, it's having that drug again. And so that's why so many of us do that. We break up. Even if we know the breakup is the right breakup, we go back because it hurts too much or it feels like it hurts too much. And that pain makes us want to go back to that. And just like how people with addictions will go back to their drugs and have all these wonderful excuses for why it's okay, we do the same things, right? So if it's when it comes to drugs, we'll say things like, oh, you know, uh, I, maybe I can control it now or maybe I want to start next month anyway, so let me enjoy it and whatever it might be. And in breakups, it's the same thing, you know, oh, you know, she understands me so well or he's so you know, this, or we had so many good memories, we'll find so many ways to go back because it feels so painful. It can almost feel, feel like death. But so if someone says, I need to get back with this person, my response isn't going to be, okay, let's figure out how to get that person back. I understand their pain and I wouldn't ignore it and I wouldn't say it doesn't matter. But I wouldn't just say because they're hurt by not having their, that person, the most important thing or the only solution is to get them back. We first and foremost try to tr want to try to understand, is this person even right for them? Is it a good match? So I'm completely against someone saying, if you miss someone or if you're sad that you broke up with someone, I'm going to do every, you should do everything you can to get back with that person, no matter what, or I should help you if I can for sure get with that person. The person might be toxic and very harmful for you, or your match and your dynamic might be very toxic. And so we have to look at that too. So be mindful of that feeling that can come up. And again, it can make sense. As I said, it feels almost like death, like you're dying. And sometimes people have that feeling when they're going through heartbreak is that it feels like they're dying. So we understand that the only solution or the easiest solution or the right solution to them in that moment feels like getting back with that person. So we always have to evaluate the relationship and uh, make sure it's the right one in general. And if we want to go back to someone, be aware that there's a lot pulling you back to that person, but that pulling you back doesn't mean they're right for you. I sometimes hear people say, if two weeks after the breakup, you still miss them or are thinking about them, that means you should go back to them. No, you know, many people will miss people for months after they break up. It doesn't necessarily mean that that was the right person. Even if someone cheats on you and you break up because of that, you still might miss them. It doesn't mean you need to go back with them. And I'm not saying that would necessarily end the relationship. But my point is, even if they've hurt you, you'll still miss them. It doesn't mean the missing is telling you, oh, you guys are so right for one another. Again, as, as comes up in a lot of different ways, we are sometimes attracted strongly to the wrong people for us, which is why we want to understand what we've been through, understand our attachment style, understand our parents, the negative qualities they have, because oftentimes we can be drawn to that, we can be attracted to that. And we want to understand what we've been through to better understand who we get attracted to. Because if we don't pay attention to that, if we just think it's only our heart and just go forward with whoever you like, you can really get yourself in trouble. And this is why we want to go into romantic relationships with both our heart and our head. You, of course, have to feel that attraction, 
There is feelings involved that are important, of course. But we also have to think about things and even uh, not just judge, but evaluate and assess our feelings and understand them better. Okay, I feel so drawn to this person. I can't think of, uh, stop thinking about them. Why might that be? So if we just leave it at that, we think, oh, this is beautiful. It's amazing. This is the person that I'm so in love with. But if you look a little more close, you might say, wait, I think I keep thinking about this person because they're so inconsistent. They sometimes give me so much love and makes me feel so good. And then they'll disappear for a while. And so is that actually because they're so great or is it because they're stirring up my anxiety and that's making me feel what I think is butterflies in a healthy way, but these butterflies are trying to kill me from the inside and they're actually going to hurt you. Um, so you always want to look into what you're actually feeling. Why am I getting so attracted to this person? Don't just leave it as it's, you know, the heart wants what it wants and, you know, but the names of a bunch of other songs that you can think of or the lyrics from songs. It's not just about what the heart wants. We have to think with our heads too. It takes a little bit of both. So I know that can make it seem very non-romantic to um, make it that you think about these things, but it's really just uh, the reality of the situation is we have to be mindful and aware. We know that we can get drawn towards the wrong people. So if we don't think things through, we can end up somewhere we don't want to end up. And so I highly recommend people read books like this, Attached. I love so many books related to relationships like uh, The Art of Loving, lots of books related to relationships and marriage as well. And what I always tell people, even when they're getting married, for example, is people often go into their wedding and they've spent more time planning the wedding than they have planning and preparing for their marriage. You don't want to make that mistake to just go into a marriage thinking it's all about finding someone. You know, this is where this idea of there's the one, um, which oftentimes avoidant people have that mindset that, oh, no, I, you know, it'll feel different with the one. And so they fool themselves and their partner into thinking something is missing in the partner when really it's something about them that is afraid of that closeness. But when we think of love in this romantic way that it's just finding a soulmate and once you find a soulmate, uh, everything is going to be easy, that's not the case. I don't think there's one soulmate in the world for each person. I definitely think you can become soulmates in that you create that type of intimacy, closeness, and connection that you're so intimate with each other in an emotional sense that it becomes that soulmate, but not that you just find the person and that's it. And that's what people think, right? Um, you know, the, the prince and princess or prince and prince or princess and princess, they live happily ever after because they've just found each other and life is now easy. It's never going to be easy, but definitely if we pick the wrong person, it'll be hard and close to impossible to be happy. And if we pick the right person, a good match, we can create happily ever after, but we have to constantly work towards happily ever after. Happily ever after is a story that you don't just have a fairy tale and because you found that person, the rest of your life is that way. It's a fairy tale and story you have to write each day. And by write each day, I mean work hard with your partner to create that together. So you can have that, but it does take hard work. Relationships will never be easy, but if you find the right person and a person who's willing to work at it with you, you can create that beautiful life together. Well, that does bring us to the end of today's show. A big thank you as always to Amir here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. Have a wonderful night. Mm -hmm.